are singing this morning. Amazing. Awesome. Uh, I'd invite you to stand uh, for the reading of scripture. Before we do that, let me pray for us. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Scripture reading this morning uh, is going to come from two different passages, one in Colossians, one in 1 Corinthians, both from the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to remind you before we go to Scripture today that this is the main event. This is the most important word you're going to hear today. This is the main course. Anything that I'm doing after we read Scripture is purely additive. This is God's word for us today. So I invite you to take a deep breath. Feel your feet touching the ground. Center yourself and hear God's word this morning. From Colossians 1, Paul says, I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. And then Paul again, 1 Corinthians. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all made to drink of the one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. The word of the Lord and God's people said, thanks be to God. You can be seated. Um, this winter, we've been exploring some of the deep questions of faith in our modern world today in a series called Wonder. Um, this has been part of our commitment this school year to focus on following Jesus, discipleship of Jesus. And sometimes, as we're following Jesus, one of the things that persists for us are questions, big questions, that people have been asking for a long time. We've already looked at a few of those questions. What's the relationship between God and science? Is the Bible still relevant? What does it mean in our culture today to be good? These are all important questions, and if you miss those teachings, I'm going to encourage you to go back and uh, listen to them on our podcast feed. But today, uh, I get to ask a question that I hear in many different forms uh, from numerous different people, which is the question of, can we love God or Jesus, but not the church? Can we love God or Jesus, but not the church? Um, I will give you a short answer first, and then the rest of the sermon will be my longer answer. The short answer is, eh, kinda, kinda. You can have a love for Jesus and not be part of a local church for a season. Who am I to judge otherwise? I mean, certainly there are people who love Jesus but can't be part of a local congregation because of health issues, let's say. Or there are people who, who love Jesus but can't go to church because they live in a place where there's intense persecution and put their life at risk. There are people who have been harmed by the church, sometimes quite painfully and legitimately. Sometimes it's their perception of their experience, but either way, they hold on to a love for Jesus, but they're unable to be part of a, a, of a local church, hopefully for just a season. So is it possible to have love for Jesus in your heart and not be a part of a church? 
or have complex feelings about a church, sure, sure that's possible. But if the question is, can we love God and love Jesus and hate the church or have no regard at all for the church, then my answer is no. If you ask the Apostle Paul that same question, can you love Jesus and not love the church, I'm pretty sure that Paul would be somewhere in the realm of confused or offended that we even asked the question. He would say, what do you think I'm doing in Colossians? Like, I'm, I'm suffering for the church. I'm giving my heart and body for the sake of the church, of Jesus Christ, because Jesus gave his heart and his body for the sake of the church. In fact, he would probably point you to his teaching from 1 Corinthians, which we read, and he would say, actually, the church is Jesus' body here on earth. That's the metaphor that Paul loves and uses often, that the church on earth here today is the body of Christ. So think less when I say church about like this building, like these brick walls here. Think more of the assembled people gathered here today. What a wonderful representation of the church we have here today. People centered on Jesus, living in community together. That's the community that's called the body of Jesus. They, they walk where Jesus walked. They go to the places where Jesus went. They do the things that Jesus did. They function as his body. It's a manifestation of Jesus here for our, in our day today. So that's Paul's view of the church. And based on that view, how could, you, how could you not love Jesus and love the church? For him, Jesus and the church are utterly inseparable. Now, it's not hard for me to um, get excited about Paul's words or to get excited about this topic today because I happen to be someone who loves Jesus and loves the church. Um, I've given my life to the church. I hope and pray that God would give me the blessing of being a pastor in a local church until he calls me home. Um, and I, and I, this is kind of fresh for me. I just spent the last week, as, as Simon said, um, at our annual gathering of Covenant Pastors in, in Jacksonville, Florida. It's called um, our Midwinter Conference. Several of you were there as well. Um, Jacksonville was kind of like a C- as a city, but the gathering of pastors together was like an A+. It was awesome. It was amazing. Um, it was actually overwhelming. I got to worship with people who love the church like I do, who have their hopes set in Jesus, who who are working diligently for the sake of the church, who prayed through tears for, for our churches and our common mission together. It was really beautiful. It was so encouraging for me to be with others who, who love the church of Jesus. Those are my people. Those are my people. So you might think I'm a little biased. I guess I am. But, but maybe you're wondering, too, why are we kind of talking about this? Because you came to church today, right? You must have a real value for, for church in some sense, or else you... You probably wouldn't be here, so maybe you wonder if there's any fruit in kind of going through this topic here today, because probably the people who need to hear this sermon the most are probably not here today, right? Because they've given up on the church. But I believe that there are probably more people here today than we would think, and there were more people in the first service at 9 o'clock this morning than we would think, who are like this close to throwing in the towel on the whole idea of church. You're weary, maybe you're hurt. Maybe you're suspicious, maybe you've grown cynical, and you're close to just saying, you know what, I've had enough. I'm going to try to just be the best follower of Jesus I can be, the best person I can be, but I can't do this kind of community anymore. And that's not a gut feeling on my part. The statistics actually back this up. Um, we know that church attendance has been cut in half since the 1950s. Um, let me say that again. Think about it. Church attendance cut in half since the 1950s. And just since March of 2020, we all know what that month means. 
church attendance has dropped seven percentage points, which might not sound like a big deal, but seven percentage points in a little over two years is a very accelerated drop with the biggest drop happening amongst young adults. We kind of maybe would suspect that, but also senior citizens. Why is this happening? Where's the research uh, for that? Well, there is good research for that. There are three primary reasons um, that people who consider themselves to be Christians, Christ followers, people who love Jesus, are no longer interested in and are leaving the church. I want to walk through these three with you. Uh, the first is that the church demands too much, too demanding. I'm not speaking here about the needed commitments of like membership or volunteering down in the children's ministry or like giving tithes and offerings to the church, though that might be a factor for some people. What I'm, what I'm referencing here is the sentiment that many hold that the church just asks too much of people's lives. It has too many rules. It focuses too much on behaviors. And this feels increasingly restrictive for people who simply want to come and, and be encouraged and, and learn more about Jesus. On top of that, the weekly gathering and, and Sunday commitments are becoming increasingly burdensome for people. Uh, the Alban Institute now classifies regular attenders of a church as those who go once every six weeks. So for many, anything more than that is seen as just like, it's just too demanding. It's too demanding. Uh, the second reason that people are leaving the church, giving up on the church, is because ideological, political, theological differences are just too much to overcome. People increasingly see the church as a place that is politically compromised. It's too, either too progressive or too regressive. Um, these, these sentiments have spiked, certainly, since the 2016 election and then subsequent counter-reactionary election cycles, which we've all lived through and we've all felt. More pointedly, people in general, um, and, and younger and older generations in particular, have less and less value in a community that does not fit their sensibilities. They are increasingly uncomfortable with the idea of being party to an organization that would provide harbor to those who hold opinions that they find to be wrong or immoral or hurtful. The third reason that people are leaving or giving up on the church is that they just don't see it as relevant or necessary. It's simply easier for a lot of people to pull up their favorite sermon podcast from the comfort of their couch with a latte in their hands and their pajamas. And for many, a privatized spiritual experience for them can be fulfilling, less anxiety-inducing, more peaceful, and certainly more convenient. And with ubiquitous content nowadays, the very best worship bands and, and, and best preachers and most eloquent thinkers, they are just a click away with the most incredible production value behind them. So the local church becomes less relevant for them. Furthermore, we're in a period of time where many people have seen their church life upset over the last couple years, their regular rhythms of going to church, and it's caused them to sort of rethink the value of religious traditions and institutions that they've known up until now. Now, I want you to recognize, um, I, I want you to, you to know that I fully recognize the flaws that the church has. I'm not making a case that the church is a perfect place, far from it. I understand why people feel the way they do about church. And I don't want to minimize anyone's experience, most certainly not your experience. But let me just ask a question as we think about these things, as you ponder some of those statistics that I already put forward for you. Um, when we think about church decline, are we better off? Are we better off than where we were 70 years ago? Do we see evidence of, even in the midst of church decline, that we have more and more people who are really spiritually fulfilled, are knowing Jesus, are learning about Jesus? 
because there's this tendency to ascribe these statistical declines to like just a general post-Christian society or deficiencies within the church itself. But I want to tell you that sort of misses the larger point. Uh, Robert Putnam's watershed book, Bowling Alone, it's a little dated now, but it's like more relevant than ever. Um, he, he talks about, um, he, he makes a case that church attendance is actually just a byproduct of something much larger in our society, which is that any and all forms of community are, are in decline since the 1950s, and particularly communities that have a high level of commitment. So whether it's the bowling league, that's where he gets the name for his book, or the Elks Lodge, or the country club, or church, commitment to community is down, and the result is kind of predictable, which is we are a dangerously lonely people. In America, rates of loneliness are higher than almost anywhere else in the modern world. They have doubled since just the 1980s. 35% of Americans report that they are chronically lonely. Only, I, and I can't believe this is a real stat, but I looked it up like three different places. Only 8% of people report having a conversation with one of their neighbors in the previous year. In 1984, the average American had three confidants, someone they could share their life with. A recent report indicates that a quarter of Americans report having no confidant at all. In a notable interview, former Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy said, quote, during my years of caring for patients, the most common pathology was not heart disease, it was not diabetes, it was loneliness, loneliness. George Gallup of Gallup Poll Notoriety, not necessarily known for his opinions, says a pretty striking quote. He says, quote, it is obvious that Americans are the most lonely people in the world. This loneliness epidemic, it's serious and it's seriously unhealthy for us. In fact, it's considered more dangerous than smoking every single day. It's more dangerous, has more long-term impact on your health than morbid obesity. It is clearly tied to things like heart disease and dementia and very, very, very much tied to depression and anxiety, which we know is on the rise. And apart from individual risks, which are certainly there, loneliness is also an imminent danger to the health of our society, mostly because there's a direct link between loneliness and tribalism. David Brooks calls tribalism the dark twin of community. So when people experience loneliness, this is how it goes. They don't have a, they don't have a community. They experience loneliness. So they're going to seek out a pseudo-community of loosely affiliated people that are defined by what they are against rather than what they're for. By hate rather than love. By scarcity rather than abundance. And it's really no wonder that young people today in particular are the most jaded towards church statistically because they're also statistically the most politically tribal and suspicious of people outside of the political tribe. Uplifting message this morning, right, everybody? Yeah, we're in loneliness. But I have to ask this question as you think about these things. What is the fruit of the church decline that we've had, this, this, this exodus from community? What's the fruit of all this? It's increased loneliness. It's myriad health risks. It's ideological tribalism, which we know is a massive problem. And the most important thing to me, the most heartbreaking to me, the statistical rise of people who are just completely lost spiritually. A recent PRRI study indicated that 31% of Americans are neither religious nor spiritual, a staggering 18% higher than the same study seven years ago. What does that mean? It means that many of those people who say, I love Jesus, but um, I, I don't love the church. When they say that today, when they're polled several years from now, are, are increasingly likely to say they love neither. 
They're spiritually nowhere. And, and I have seen this so many times in so many people that I love in recent years, even pastors, if you can believe it or not, who walk away from the church and say, I can't do this anymore, and they end up being spiritually nowhere. They leave for a season because of hurt or boredom or some sort of broad deconstruction that they're going through, and over time, they find themselves spiritually lost. And it breaks my heart. I've had so many big emotions around that in recent years. So can you love Jesus and not love the church? My answer with good statistics backing it would be not really, no. Maybe for a season you can maintain a love for Jesus while dealing with whatever church questions or baggage you have, but staying in a state of disdain for the church, I think everything would point to no, we can't do that and love Jesus. I actually saw this um, sort of in real time this this week uh, down in Jacksonville. Part of my time was spent as an advisory member with the Board of Ordered Ministry, which is a really cool thing they asked me to do, which which means I got to interview candidates um, who are finalizing their ordination. This is what an ordination service sort of looks like. Uh, ordination is permanent credentialing for a pastor, so you don't have to reapply for your license every year. It's the church saying, we believe in you for life. It's a really, really big deal. And these, these interviews that we were doing were the kind of the final step where we say, you're in. We believe in you. We're ready to celebrate. So we interview these candidates. There were 44 of them on theological compatibility and pastoral competency. We want to know their story. We want to make sure that this is a pastor that we trust for life, that we can give our stamp of approval to. Um, one of my interviewees was a, was a mother of four, working currently as a hospital chaplain. Um, and she had worked in a church before, but was in a hospital setting now. And I began the interview just by asking her, like, if she anticipated staying in chaplaincy or if she could see herself back in church ministry, because I saw that on her on her profile. And almost immediately, it was like waterworks. Tears started coming up. And she shared about her and her husband being called to this church as co-pastors and the enthusiasm that they had and how they had this wonderful short sort of honeymoon time with these people that they loved. And then they talked about a, a group in the church that had become dissatisfied with them and, and worked and sort of angled to, to get them out and ultimately forcing them to resign and saying, you can't even finish out this weekend. You need to be gone now. And she spoke with just tears in her eyes. Almost a year later, she confessed, I have a really tough time walking into a church. I have a, my family has a really tough time going to corporate worship. Her trust is broken. And she spoke about what that meant for her and her family. Now, I'm thinking about this sermon that I'm preaching here today. And I'm going, can I affirm this dear sister who's clearly gifted for ministry as a pastor for the church if she's not choosing to be a part of the body of Christ? Is that something I can do? Because I'm going to go and tell my church that, that Jesus and the church are inseparable. Is that something I can do? So I asked her, do you have hopes of loving the church again? Is that something you have hope for? And she said, it's really hard for me to see that right now, but I have to have hope again. Because Jesus loves the church, it is his bride, and I know that I will love the church again because I have to. I don't know how, but I have to. And I figured this is someone who understands that love of Jesus and love of the church are tied together. This is someone who, even though she is in this season of deep pain and it was so raw, she knows that, that, that the church is Jesus' body on earth. So we affirmed her through tears of our own. And I told her, 
you are allowed to be where you are. You are allowed to feel what you're feeling, but you cannot stay there because Jesus is going to redeem your experience of community. You got to trust in the community and he is going to redeem that again for you. And she said, I know it and I know that he will. She'll be ordained in June. I'm going to be there to celebrate. We'll probably have tears again <laughs> in June over that one. So I want to say something similar to all of you here today who may be struggling with the church. Um, it's kind of a simple message, but you're allowed to be where you are. You're allowed to feel what you feel. You're allowed to have the experiences that you've had, but you can't stay there. For the love of Jesus and what he wants to do in your life and in your hearts, you can't stay there. So draw near and engage with the body of Christ. And I just believe, because I know who Jesus is, that he over time is going to heal your hearts and he's going to comfort you and he's going to reveal himself to you through that place of pain, that community. That's how the community of Christ works because Jesus and his body, the church, as Paul says, they're inseparable. They're inseparable. So maybe you're not persuaded by Paul's imagery of the body of Christ. Okay, then let's, as we close, let's look, at, let's look at Jesus himself. And here's what's amazing. Jesus talks about the church very little. He only mentions the word church, ecclesia, only twice uh, in the four gospels. But if you look at his life and how he chose to spend his time and the way that he structured his ministry, you cannot talk about Jesus without talking about community. It's not possible. Just like you really can't love Jesus well outside of a community that loves Jesus well. Furthermore, and I found this most interesting, the reasons, those three reasons that people have for giving up on the church are exactly the ways that Jesus models and speaks for the value of the church in our lives and why it's not possible to love him and not love the church for very well or for very long. So let me just walk through these quickly. First of all, the church is too demanding, right? Well, Jesus actually was pretty demanding. Read the Gospels. Jesus is pretty demanding. When we look at the ministry of Jesus, we see Jesus set a really high bar for his followers. And, and I want to just say this. The, the responses were not uniform. We might think that if, if, if we were there and we heard Jesus, we would, of course, we would all follow Jesus. But look at the life of Jesus. The, the responses were varied. When he calls the disciples and, and he says, you got to leave your jobs and your lives and your families literally in the boat right now and you got to come follow me, it says they left and they, they came and they followed him. They said yes to that call. But then we have other stories like the story of the rich young ruler who says, uh, where Jesus says to him, you got to sell what, all your possessions and, and, and give them away and then come follow me. And he can't do it. And he's sad. And he has sadness in his heart because he knows he can't do it. The bar was too high. Lots of people turned down Jesus' invitation throughout his ministry because the bar was just too high. And when they walk away, just so you know, there's no shame, there's no guilt. Jesus does not uh, cast them out or, or heap shame or guilt on them. There's lots of grace, but make no mistake, following Jesus is an exercise in extremely high commitment. If we say we love Jesus, but we bristle at the idea of, of the commitment that the church calls us to in following Jesus— that's a pretty good indication that you got to go back to your Bibles. you got to read the Gospels of Jesus again because I think you're missing the call that he places upon our lives. And we're missing the value of what commitment to Jesus does to our hearts and to our lives. Second thing is that piece about ideology and political and theological difference being too much to overcome. But as I look at the life of Jesus, 
he seems more interested in commitment than any of those things. If we look at the ministry of Jesus, he actually places people of ideological, political, and theological difference purposefully together at the table. Just look at his 12 disciples. They had all sorts of differences in that group. I wish I could go through them all. Often we say that we're the most politically divided and, and you know, ideologically divided that we've ever been. But actually, if you look at Jesus' disciples from, from tax collectors to zealots and everyone in between, we actually see that we can't, we're kind of the same as we've always been <laughs> as Christ followers, to be honest. We might look at these disciples and see them as disqualified based on their histories, their beliefs, their compromise politically or otherwise. Maybe we look and we go, that viewpoint, that way of living is just too immature. But as I look at Jesus and his values, it seems to me that he's more interested in commitment than he is in right belief or maturity. I think he looks at right belief and maturity and goes, we can work on belief. We can work on maturity. Just commit yourself. If Jesus is willing to place right, left, and everything in between at a table together, it would seem strange to me that we would see it as a detriment to have to share a pew or a classroom or a cup of coffee in the garden court with someone that we disagree with. In fact, it seems to be exactly how Jesus would want it to be for us for the sake of our souls. Third, it's not relevant or necessary. And my response to that would be, well, it was necessary for Jesus. A lot of people think, I can follow Jesus fine on my own. Thank you very much. But that has to be reconciled with the unassailable truth that Jesus himself chose to live in community. When we look at Jesus' ministry, it's probably best described as a co-housing, mobile co-housing community. Like they went around from place to place, but they were living together. They were in each other's lives. And the call to follow Jesus always is joined with the call to that community. He does not call people outside of that call to community. And it's apparent to me that people could not follow Jesus alone, and neither can we. Jesus modeled for us real, face-to-face, shoulder-to-shoulder community, which means that church on the whole, the gathering of God's people together, can never be irrelevant or unnecessary, because it wasn't for Jesus. So, all that to say, Jesus says it, Paul says it, the statistics say it, Love, Jesus, love, love of Jesus and love of church actually go together. But you may be wondering why. And this is the, my last sort of answer. And, and it's, this answer is for everybody here, by the way, whether you are someone who's hanging on to the idea of church by like a thread, or you've already given up on the church, or you're here but you're only partly kind of here, your heart's not really in it, or you're deeply committed to the life of this as your local church. The church and love of church and love of Jesus go together because the community of Jesus teaches us to be like Jesus and to love like Jesus. That's what the community, the body of Christ, does. As Sky Jathani so beautifully puts it, community is essential to the Christian life. Yes, it is where the suffering are comforted, but it is also where the comfortable suffer. Too often we choose our communities based on their ability to make us comfortable rather than their ability to make us Christ-like. I love that because I know that in my heart. I know 
when, when my community makes demands of me because of love for Jesus Christ, I'm becoming more Christ-like. I'm learning what it means to be more like him. When I have to love someone who I disagree with because I can't deny the goodness of God in their lives or our common love of Jesus, I'm becoming more Christ-like. As Jean Vanier, the founder of the large community, put it, and I love this, think about this, virtue is a community project. Virtue is a community project. My prayer is that our church and that the church in all places and in all different manifestations of the church would live into the calling to create training grounds and schools where we become more Christ-like. Where we become more Christ-like. Where we look more like Jesus and we love more like Jesus. I know that the church safeguards me from loneliness keeps me sharp in my love of Jesus and neighbor like no other community can do. Like no other community. We have options for community, but no other community can do that. I, I play basketball with a couple of guys here. Do, I mean, does that place teach me to love Jesus better? Probably not. It's a good workout, right? Don't come and watch me and check, by the way, if it's making more and more Christ-like. But I just know that this community is unique. The bowling league can't do that. The country club can't do that. The yoga class can't do that. Only the body of Christ can serve as a school that teaches us how to love like Jesus and how to love like neighbor. I pray that it would be so and that it may be for those who have given up on the church that they would find the true Jesus through his body here on earth. Please go be the church, everybody. Please go be the church. Be more like Jesus and love like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your church and its work in many places, in many ways, doing your kingdom work, extending the body of Christ, the places where you would go and the things you would do in this world that you love. We recognize the shortcomings of our churches, the ways in which we fall short. Lord, we confess those to you, we repent of them, and we ask you to strengthen your church for the mission ahead, that we would have the, the compassion and the capacity to go and meet a lonely world, a dangerously lonely world, offering them a community where they can find friendship and affinity and love and care, but mostly, Lord, that we might continue to grow into a community that draws people into Christ-likeness and the ability to love like you love them. Lord, for those who are hanging on just by a thread, I pray that you would soften their hearts to come and trust the community of Christ again, either here or elsewhere. Lord, would you do your redeeming work through your body in individuals' hearts and in our communities, in our country, in our cities, in our world. We hear the groans of your world, Lord. I pray that your church might rise up to meet those needs because we are being trained to love you and love our neighbors. So, Lord, strengthen your church, we pray in your name. Amen.